Let me invite you to take a copy of God's word and turn to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. We'll look at one verse tonight, which you'll probably appreciate, especially if my voice continues to digress during this message. But Colossians chapter one, verse 18. We're in the middle of obviously Paul's address, or or I should say we're getting into the middle of Paul's address to the church at Colossae. And he's already spoken to them, obviously, about his prayers for them, about who they are, and how he loves them. And in the midst of that, he launches into one of these great Christological uh, passages that you will find. I I mean, it is a tremendous reflection upon who Jesus is. I mean, we, we could, we could literally just, just, just camp out here for several weeks talking about the greatness and the goodness of Christ as it is related by the apostle Paul to that church in Colossae and how it is related to us today. And we, we looked at last week where he particularly told us that this Christ that we serve is supreme. He is preeminent over all of creation itself. He is the one that is responsible for creation. Remember that? We said that he created everything. And because of that, he had dominion and authority over everything. This week, I was somewhat surprised uh, as I had a theological conversation with uh, a gentleman that attends here pretty often or so, and we were able to kind of talk about some different things and work through it. And I was talking to him about this. Of course, he wasn't there last Sunday night and not here this Sunday night. Um, but we were talking through like this idea of Christ and, and who he was and, and overall of creation. And, and he began to share with me how he believed Jesus was the first created being, that he was a creation. He was created by God the Father. And I said, hold on just a minute. I said, you and I are going to have to part ways here. And he said, well, I know, you know, I know, you know, we may disagree with this, and, and, but it's not a big deal. And I'm going to be honest. I said, look, and I, and I said it lovingly. I hope you all know who I am now. I try to be gentle and loving in, in, my, in my answers and who I am. But at the same time, I said, no, this is a big deal. And I pointed him to Colossians 1. I said, man, it is amazing how I just preached on this last Sunday night and how we looked through that. He said, yeah, but you, you see you see how he says that he was the firstborn over creation. And I said, yes, understand that that is a statement of showing his superiority over all of creation. It does not mean he is a created being. I said, continue reading on because Paul said, for by him all things. Now, Christ, through him, everything was made. That Jesus himself was the creator. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus always has been. He, was, he is the eternal God. He has been from everlasting and he will be to everlasting. He is not something that has been just created or designed by God uh, as a ruler over us. He is God. And it is important for us to get that concept of who Jesus is. And again, I worked through some other passages, obviously, with him, and I probably didn't prevail in, 
in convincing him, but obviously he did not prevail in convincing me either. Jesus has preeminence. He has superiority. He has supremacy over all of creation because he is the creator. And that's what we're told by Paul. And Paul is fleshing this out, reminding the church at Colossae about, about their uh, devotion to this creator. In particular, in verse 18, he moves from the lordship of Jesus over creation to the lordship of Jesus over the church. It's a natural progression for him because he says, this Jesus is over everything, but also remember you being the church, that means he's over you. Now that may surprise some of us because sometimes I think how necessary was it for Paul to remind the church that Jesus is Lord? I mean, shouldn't they have known that Jesus was Lord? Hadn't they accepted Christ and been saved? Hadn't they come to a place in their, in their life where they had said, yes, he's the boss. But yet Paul knew. He knew humanity. He knew humanity's nature, did he not? And he knew that we needed to be constantly reminded that Jesus is Lord. And we need to be constantly called to submit ourselves to his lordship. Because what happens is, is often we kind of take over our own little um, worlds and we want to control those things. We want to make the decisions. We want, to, we want to be the ones in control. And how often do you and I have to come back and say, God, I'm sorry I tried to take that over. God, I'm, I'm giving this back to you because this is yours. You know what? It was yours before I ever gave it to you anyway. So I'm just going to leave it here with you because you are Lord and I'm going to let you direct my thoughts and I'm going to let you direct my speech and I'm going to let you direct my actions. We have to be reminded, do we not? I know this guy does because he can be a hard-headed individual. He can find his own way to do things and he can do it in his own power too often. We have to be reminded that he is the authority over us, even the church itself. So listen to what Paul says. Paul said, okay, he's Lord over creation. All things consist through him. All things were made for him. And then in verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He said, Jesus is the head of the body. Obviously, using this analogy of the body that we see in Scripture, that the church is like the body. Now, it was interesting to me as I studied for this message and looked in some different areas that the Jews had this kind of strange concept that all of humanity made up the body of Adam. It was weird kind of reading through it, just to be honest with you, but Jewish history, they, they would kind of look at humanity as a whole, that we are the body of Adam, that Adam was like the head of, obviously, creation. So they would think of that in a sense of origin. We all originated from Adam. Also, what I found interesting is that a lot of those Greeks and Gentiles, they also understood like uh, public or social institutions identified as bodies 
For example, the Stoics, who were philosophers of the day, said it's kind of like the it was you were part of the body of this nation. In other words, you had some type of responsibility to a nation or to a group. So you were part of a body. So you had all this stuff circulating out there about what a true body was. And I think Paul was very familiar with what the Jews taught and also even what the Gentiles taught. But here he comes and says, let, let me put it in perspective, folks. He said, it's not about a political or social institution. He said, it's not about even springing forth from the line of the first Adam. He said, the body is the church. The church being the called out ones, literally. Remember, if you break it apart, that's what it means. The called out ones. The church is the body. And Paul will use that analogy. He'll use it with the Romans. He'll use it with the Corinthians. And he'll talk in those, in those uh, passages more about the interconnectedness that we have as a body, right? And how dependent we are upon one another. In those passages, he really points that out and reminds us. Like you and I, we need each other. Correct? Hey, you sitting on this side, look across that side. I know you've never probably spoken to some of these people. But just look at them and say, we say, I need you. Would you do that? Okay. Now, this one's a little more stubborn group on this side. I'm sorry, you have Bill Cox that kind of tilts everything this direction. All of you all look to this side and say, I need you. Okay, that's good. That, that's a good start to this. I was telling somebody this morning, one of our deacons was chosen to serve the very opposite gallery uh, from where he sits when he served the Lord's Supper in the nine o'clock service. And I told him, I said, look, this is your prime opportunity to introduce yourself to those people. I know you've never been across to the other gallery, but you need to introduce yourself when you pass the plate. Just tell them who you are. Of course, you've been here 40 years, but tell them who you are and tell them you're a deacon. Okay, do that. But there's, we need each other. And that's what the other passages in particular point out. The body is interconnected. You have to have a hand. You have to have a foot. You have to have a heart. You have to have all these different parts of the body. And in those passages that Paul will relate to us, he'll talk about gifts and giftedness and how we all have our purpose and plan and how he wants to use us for the, for the body of Christ within the church. So that's the emphasis there. But here, he, he uses this idea of the body, but he, he, he reminds us that the head and the head alone is Jesus. Like all of us can be parts of the body. All of us can have our own functions, but no individual in this place, no individual in this place occupies the position of head when it comes to the church. Jesus is the head. I love the way it's stated in the original language. Went back and read through it even this afternoon. Verse 18. And he himself, the way it's stated grammatically is like an emphasis upon Jesus. Like he himself is the head. There's no, no question about this. There's nobody else that's to be confused with the head of the church. 
He himself. The head again means the authority. It means the origin, that which uh, gives life to the rest of the body. It is the source, as you understand it in the original language and in the New Testament. Well, what is he the source of? Obviously, if he is the origin, he is the, the head. That means he gives unity in the church. Like if we all come from the same source, then that means we're unified as a body. And he's brought us together. And again, in those other passages that Paul will speak about the body, he'll talk about the diversity when we all have different gifts. But what will he always come back to? He'll come back to the unity that we have as a church, as a family of God, as in particular this analogy, the body of Christ, that we have unity together. We have unity together because we have the same head, right? It's his mind. Paul will talk about the mind of Christ in another of these captivity epistles, the book of Philippians, and he'll talk about how we are to adopt the mind of Christ. And when we adopt the mind of Christ, because he's the head, it brings forth unity. We think as he thinks. We're together, not opposed to each other. We find unity. When people walk together, when they walk together with Jesus being the head and Jesus calling the shots, it is so easy to find the sweet fellowship of unity within the church. Too often... Too often we get into our own agendas. Too often we go down the side streets instead of the main streets. Too often we forget that he is the one that is the head. And we somehow begin to perpetuate our own personal agendas. In that case, we find disunity, fracture, fragmentation. I remember being at Blue Mountain years ago and this preacher came and he talked to us. He said, people in our church are talking about how everything's about to come to a head. You've been there before, right? Just kind of was bubbling up the issues, the things that were not being dealt with. And all. It's just, it's about to come to a head. And I'll never forget what another pastor said. Well, if they'd only bring it to the head to the head who is Jesus, maybe those things could be resolved and unity could be maintained because that's what we need to see is that we bring things to the head, the head, the authority, the origin, and we have unity together. I will say that if we don't recognize the preeminence of Christ here in this place and maintain unity, how do we expect people in this community and people who are unbelievers to somehow think that he is as preeminent and glorious as he should be? It is from a unified church that we will find our strength. I spoke about it here the other day, and I will continue to encourage it and ask you to pray for it because for five plus years, God has given me some of the most blessed moments of ministry here, partly because of the unity that I have seen in this congregation. We should never take it for granted. Because you know what Satan will do 
He will come in and he will do whatever he can to accuse the brethren, to slander the brethren. He will come in to try to get the brethren and the cistern. Let me just say the cistern, okay? Uh, (laughs) I don't think it's a word, but it's okay tonight. I'm on a lot of steroids right now, all right? (laughs) That he he brings all of us together. What Satan will try to do is come to all of us and he'll try to get us to listen to him and to listen to his deceits instead of us being directed and guided by the head of the church who is Jesus Christ himself. He is the source of our unity. He is the source of our power. Because if he is the origin, if he is the head, if he is the authority, then that means he is our power. The reason, and I'm going to get more into this in a moment about his resurrection, but the reason that we are together is because he has made us a new creation. We are a new humanity. What do you mean by that? Well, one who has experienced Christ Jesus is now a new creature in him. He has made us new. We're a new group of people. We did not know what true life was until Jesus put us together, right? You and I were lost and all of us were individualized, but when he put us, he put life within us, he brought us together as a people. And we are a new creation. And because he made us and he made us a new creatures in Christ, then we have a new power that he has given us as our head. Obviously, he is the source of direction. And that kind of goes with the idea of power. The head is what is directing. The head is what is guiding. For my body to operate appropriately, I need my brain, I need my head to be operating appropriately, right? If I'm going to be empowered to do something or if I'm going to decide to do something, I've got to be given instructions by the head. I've got to think it. It's got to go through my life and I've got to do it. Unfortunately, a lot of churches look like headless beings because they're lurching around and they're not truly striving for the kingdom of God. They're not really walking. They're certainly not running for the kingdom because they're just kind of look like they're confused. They're, they're headless. Now their head is still there. Don't get me wrong. Christ is always there, but it's like they have not recognized him. They have gone off on their own. That is the reason that Paul had offered that prayer earlier that we looked at where he prayed that they would have wisdom, discernment. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Well, you ask for wisdom. Well, yeah, you ask for wisdom from him because he's the head. That's where wisdom's going to come from. He's going to direct you. And we as a church, again, any decision we make must come from the head, Jesus. Well, look again at this verse. He's the head of the body, the church, the called out ones, who is the beginning. I love that. The firstborn from the dead. I went back and uh, I looked at the original language because I had a feeling this was the phraseology, uh, the firstborn of, from the dead. I was working on some translations in Revelation here a few weeks ago for a Bible study I was doing. 
And I saw that terminology. I'll show it to you again over there. But literally, if I were to translate it, I might translate it something like the first out of the dead ones. I, I would even probably use that as a plural. Like he was the first one out of the dead ones. So there are a bunch of dead ones, right? There are a bunch of people who have dead th died through the centuries. They're dead. He was the first one of the dead ones, first one of any individual who came alive. And that gives him authority over us as well. He is the one who is alive. He's the one that's been, anybody else done that? No. Anybody else who was dead and now is alive in such a way as Jesus? No. That means that he has preeminence over us as a church. Nobody else can make that claim. No preacher, no deacon, no committee member, nobody. Jesus is the one who is above all because he is the living resurrected one. That's what it really boils down to. That's not just the reality of Easter. That should be the reality of us, of us every day knowing that he is our head because he is the living one. Now, I do want to show you these two passages in Revelation. Revelation 1, like I said, I was doing a Bible study a couple weeks ago up at Evergreen and, and uh, Fellowship Church just north of here. And I'm going to come back later on if I ever finish the book of Acts on Sunday morning. I think 2021, this one I've got it down, Andy, something like that. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Some of you are like, I'm moving my membership, moving my membership. Later on this year, I'm going to preach uh, through this Revelation 1 through 3 that I've been doing the Bible studies on in some different areas, um, the letters to the churches. And, and it is, I mean, it's great stuff, okay? So wherever I am at the time, whatever I'm preaching on, I think it's the greatest, Right. I, I, people, Dwight, would y'all ask me when I came and the past search committee said, what's your favorite scripture? I said, it's whatever I'm preaching that week. I mean, seriously, I get so in love with it and just like studying and looking at it. I'm like, okay, I just love it. But Revelation uh, 1 in verse 5, you see almost verbatim what Paul just said in Colossians. And I know this is John a different writer, but this is what John says. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood. The firstborn from the dead ones, the first of the dead ones. Again, he says, this is what he says to you. Now he's getting ready to address the church. All of this is about to give you a vision of Jesus so that you see who Jesus really is in a glorified state so that you'll listen up as a church. That's what Revelation 1 is all about, really. Because later on, when John does see the vision, I mean, in verse 17, he will fall at Jesus' feet as dead. And then Jesus, I love the picture, and again, I'll preach it later on this year, but... Jesus just comes over to him after giving him this glorified vision of who he is. Jesus just comes over to him, an old friend that he hadn't seen in some 60 years. And he lays his hand on him, it says. Just imagine how he laid his hand on his shoulder. And he said, do not be afraid. John, don't, John, my old buddy, 
you old disciple, you've been so faithful, don't, don't be afraid. And he says, I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death itself. He says, I'm alive. And see, again, he's introducing his message to the churches. Just like Paul back here says that Jesus is the head of the church, you and I need to realize that he is the living one and he has the right over us, the right to make any claim on our lives, the right to demand any type of obedience that he wants from us because he is the living one that has the power of life and death itself. He is the one that holds all authority. He is the head of the church. And our churches need once again to remember that, that he has the authority. Oh man, there's gotta be some more power there too you can talk about, right? Just get ready. I don't know, it's July, July or so. I'll talk about it more, all right? I'll preach so what? Back to Colossians and let me finish up. Although I think my voice is getting stronger. <laughs> the firstborn from the dead ones, the first out of the dead ones, that in all things, that in all things, he may have the preeminence. Some translations would say, so that in everything he might be first. In everything. And that word, that clause there, that in all things, it is a statement of purpose. In other words, he's the head, he's been resurrected, and he has vindicated, vindication and validation for why he is the head. And he's done all this so that, so that he will be put first in everything. You and I should strive constantly. As a church collectively, I will say that, but also personally, to put Jesus first in everything. What does Jesus think about this? You know, I, I do value our Baptist polity of the autonomy of the church, that each believer has a voice in the church because each believer has the Holy Spirit re residing within him. I, I, am, I, I am grateful for that. But we must never forget that it is not about committee's opinions. It is not about deacon's opinions. It is not about pastor or staff opinions. It must be about Jesus' opinion. We must not forget his lordship over the church. While we all have a voice, he is the Lord. I remember some years ago, a church broke off. Well, there were some people broke off from a church and started their own. They felt like they had been mistreated, which I understand those things happen. They went and formed a new church. And that was their prerogative. Actually, 
God can take those things and actually use them for something that's good. I believe that. But they called their church the people's church. That's always bothered me. Now, I know what they meant, that people are going to be valued. That's what they were trying to do. And, and that's, that is laudable. That is something that I would compliment. But the people's church, I'd just rather call it the Lord's church. Because he has to come first in our thoughts. It's not about what one constituency wants. It's not about what one committee, as I said, wants. It's not about what one body wants. It should be what the Lord wants for our church. He can speak to us, and I value the input of my deacons. I value the input of my committees. I value the input of our staff. But is it the Lord speaking to us, or is it us speaking to the Lord? Too often we make plans and we say, bless it, Lord. Instead of saying, Lord, we bless you, help us make our plans. Let's hear your thoughts, Lord, because we want you to be first, not last, not even second. We want you to be first. Lord, would you be first in our words, in what we speak as a church and as a people? Lord, would you be first in the way we act and what we do? Lord, would you be first? Because, Lord, you are preeminent. You are supreme. God, we got it that you're over all of creation, but we're going to zero down just a little more just to be reminded that you're the Lord over us, the church. Father, we want you to use your son in our lives to direct us and guide us. That should be our prayer. Would you join me in that kind of prayer too? That we would listen to him faithfully? That we would follow him fully in the days to come? Pray for us daily that we will submit to the headship of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let's do it specifically right now, okay? Let's pray. God, we do not even deserve to be here tonight. We don't deserve the salvation. We certainly don't deserve the great ministry that you've allowed us to experience. We don't deserve the blessings in our lives. But oh God, how gracious you've been to us. how grateful we are for your son, the Lord Jesus, that you sent him to die, that you sent him to bear the penalty that we could have never borne alone. And that Lord, through that, we have release from sin, we have forgiveness. And God, thank you that three days later you raised him from the grave to be the first out of the dead ones. And Lord, even in that statement, to be the first, that means there are more to come. God, thank you for the hope that you've given us through this Jesus. But God, I pray that we would not only be grateful, but that great gratitude 
would be demonstrated in our devotion. God, God, that we as a church and as a people right here in this place, we would commit ourselves daily to listening to you. Not to the agendas of the world, not even to the agendas of certain groups within our church, but Father, that we would hear you. Father, I pray that we would recognize you first in all things that we do here. And even as we leave these doors, that you would help us to be the people you want us to be. Tonight in this place, once again, afresh and anew, would you allow us to bow to your son's headship? And may we listen to him. For we pray it, we ask it, we beg it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.